Good morning. Today's reading is Acts um, chapter 24, verses 24 through 27. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, it's, it's great to see you all here this morning and to, uh, to be together, you know, the weather's starting to cool off a bit and just kind of getting in. Yeah, wow, yeah, I agree. It's uh, exciting. And um, so uh, with that, um, again, just something, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I'm going to make sure that you all know what's, uh, what's happening. Just a, a heads up, I have a stutter, and so it'll kind of come in and out as we go, and I want to make sure that you know, um, you know what that is and you're not cut off guard. And uh, we're going to get into our time here pretty quickly together. We've got a ton to cover, to dive into. We're in Acts. We have been in Acts for the, uh, the whole year. We um, took a break last week uh, to hear from the lead pastor of all of Redemption, Tyler Johnson, and he did a great job um, uh, last week really commissioning us, charging us as we celebrated our third anniversary as a church uh, since we launched. And that was, yeah, fun, great celebratory time. And now we get back into Acts, where we've been for uh, since the very beginning of the fall. We've been in in, um, in Acts, and we love to study books of the Bible, though we do take, you know, take time off every so often and kind of pause and get into a particular subject and somewhere else, you know, a particular text. Our norm is to really come under uh, an entire book of the Bible and just spend time there being shaped and transformed as we consistently gather together and hear God's word and the, and the full counsel of uh, his instruction. So that's where we've been in Acts. We'll, um, we only have a few weeks left in Acts. You could say, ah. Yeah, so, and then um, we'll transition there, just a heads up where we're going. We'll spend some time in the book of Proverbs for a couple of months, and uh, yeah, really excited about that, and then we'll transition into our time during the Advent season. But I won't get into that too much, right? Unlike Home, Home Depot and Target and everywhere else, we're not going to start talking about Christmas yet, okay? It's, um, but anyway, uh, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles, okay? Acts chapter 24 and 25 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high? And keep it up, and we will get you one, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a Bible to follow along with and to read along with. Y también en español, si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y um, esta mañana estamos en Hechos, capítulo uh, 24 y 25. Okay, again, we're in chapters uh, 24 and 25 of Acts, and um, uh, go ahead and, and turn there with me, and, and I want to make sure you have a Bible, okay, always, just so you know, if you have one, bring it with you, if you don't, we're happy to get you one, if you uh, need one, again, keep this, this is our gift to you, and if you have like five or six of our gifts to you uh, at home, 
you know, you can give one away or, uh, or you know, bring them back and put them, put them uh, here in the back, okay? So um, that's how it works. Let me go ahead and pray for us, all right, as we get into our time. Lord, again, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're told that it's profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke. Lord, that you uh, have given us your instruction so we can know you, know your character, know who you are. And through that, we can know who we are. Uh, Lord, made in your image and given instruction, given a, a, a mission to live as your people, as your image bearers. And so, Lord, we pray that wherever we're coming from this morning, whether we name the name of Jesus, we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, or not, we're somewhere else in that process. We're investigating, Lord, seeing what we want to make of all this. Either way, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would empower us and enable us, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord, to respond to you in worship, not just now, this morning, but in all of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it's not fair are words that to me are like nails on a chalkboard. I can't stand them. It's not fair. It's not fair, especially in my, my house, all right? Some uh, parents here, anyone can relate with me on that? You know, you get, I didn't know that I couldn't stand that phrase until I started having kids and then started hearing it a ton, and I don't know where they learned it. Um, actually, I do know. Uh, I don't know that I say it, but I definitely have that posture from time to time, you know, it's not fair, it says, I was dealt a bad card, you know, deck of cards, this isn't, you know, this isn't, it's not my fault, and it's a constant conversation in our house, probably the most constant is, right, we, something happened to someone, and then you want to even go to bat for them, or you want to address them, and then the first thing is about what everyone else did, and how it's everyone else's fault, and all this stuff, and the reality of Life not being fair is very present in our home. And um, we, that's, again, probably our most consistent conversation with our kids in terms of a, you know, correctional nature is, is about that idea, you know, about, uh, about blaming or it's not fair. And sometimes it's right. It's true. And so what we do is we just tell our kids, just wait. When you get older, everything's fair. Life just gets a lot easier. It's always going to work out according to uh, the way it should. So just, just hold tight. It'll get a lot easier. Uh, no, right? We hear some, we hear some chuckles because we know that's very much not the case, right? In fact, it's probably the opposite. As you get older, you start to re realize that you getting cookies and your sibling getting cookies and it looks like they got more even though it's the exact same amount because parents like scrupulously made sure it was even like you your your idea and understanding of justice grows and develops as you get older and you actually become more and more aware that it's true a lot of times injustice and even corruption prevails and kind of rules the day and defines and informs our life and sometimes even our society. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and what do we do with that? Do we go the way of um, Nietzsche? Some of you might not know. First of all, I'm about to quote Nietzsche. I don't know that a lot of pastors quote Nietzsche. And also, you guys might not know, we're probably the only church in the world that has a Nietzsche quote. 
hanging up in our walls. But um, it's not one of his more uh, profane or provocative quotes. It's over here about music. It talks about, you know, music being, um, my eyes are actually really bad. I thought I could read that from here, but <laughs> life would, I don't know, life would be awesome. Life would be more awesome. I don't know that Nietzsche said awesome, but I don't know. That's the German translation. But um, anyway, Nietzsche quote over there. Well, Nietzsche said a lot of other things, some really provocative things. And, and, and one thing that he said, talking about corruption and injustice, is he says he was really just a Debbie Downer, by the way. He was really negative kind of guy. And um, he, he said, when you stare into the abyss of corruption, beware that it's staring back. And at some point, you will find yourself surrounded by it. Again, in a nutshell, saying, listen, you're, you, it's inevitable, right? You, we live in broken, unjust, uh, you know, corrupt world. And as you look at it and you're on the outside, eventually it overtakes you and you just participate in it. And some of us, though, we wouldn't, you know, just kind of call it out like that. We, that's maybe our p- posture in life. Well, you can't beat them, join them. You know, everyone's got to get ahead, you know, cut some... Cut some corners, right? Uh, we don't call things corruption, but we maybe just participate in things that are, you know, maybe hurt someone else and benefit us. And all right, as long as you know we don't know who's hurt or we don't really kind of justify or you know clarify it too much, and we're we're all right with that. We're cool with that. That's the way the world is, right? The way the cookie crumbles. It's just life, you know. You gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Well, that's not the the message of Jesus. In fact, that's not the life that Jesus embodied. Thankfully, it's not fair. It's not something that God sits back and says in terms of how he relates with us. Because if he just went about what was fair, he would have never entered into our mess, into our corruption and our brokenness, into our treason, into our temper tantrum of on a cosmic level, turning away from God and saying, no thanks, we don't want anything to do with you, we want to do it our way. And if God was truly fair in this moment, he would just say, fine, good luck with that, go ahead. You know, you can have your cake and eat it, eat it too, just go ahead and do it. I don't think I actually used that phrase right. I do that a lot of times, but you know, go ahead, right? You made your bed, now you got to sleep in it, there it is. So, um, all right, as I get older here, you guys, before your eyes, I'm growing into these old man cliche phrases, and I, it's, it's a learning process. But, 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 right, God doesn't do that. He thankfully enters into our mess and, 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 and gives justice and love, and he's patient and he's humble with us. So what we find is that the gospel, okay, that's the good news of Jesus, what he did, what he accomplished, his life, death on a cross, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of God the Father and rule over all things. Okay, that's the gospel, the good news. Well, the gospel brings about a whole new game in that through the gospel, God's people are enabled, are empowered to fight the evils of injustice and corruption with a whole new set of tools, with, with, the, with the weapons of love and patience and humility And that's what we see on display here this morning as we yet again see Paul, kind of one of the main characters here throughout Acts, on trial, unjustly. Okay, as we'll see here, all kinds of false accusations are being thrown his way. All kinds of things are being said about, oh, you did this and you did that and and this is all this stuff. And, And watch as we read how he goes about it and what kind of foundation he's standing on and how he engages in justice. Because again, 
Okay, not like the way Nietzsche said it, but the reality is we will face injustice and corruption in our world. Okay, life is not the way it's supposed to be, the way God designed it to be. That's just true. And yet, through faith in Jesus, God's people are empowered to stand in the face of corruption and injustice. And so that's what we see here. Pick up with me in uh, Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse 1 here. Again, as Paul faces uh, a trial. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. So let me set the stage here for what's going on, okay? Because there's a bunch of he's and all these different people, okay? So Paul has been in Jerusalem for less than two weeks, okay? Paul, the Apostle Paul, quick just recap, he meets Jesus on the road. Jesus shows up to him, shining light. Paul's blinded, knocked off his horse, off his horse, and he's going to, you know, persecute the church and all this stuff. And Jesus says, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus says, who are you, Lord? Because he sees, wow, you, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And, And he says, I have a mission for you, a plan for you. He sends him right. Paul puts his faith in Jesus, which is what happens when you come face to face with Jesus. And he reveals himself most clearly. You can do no other than to say, here I am. Okay, some of you just kind of re- recap, maybe some of you, unlike, or like me, maybe grew up not in the church, and you come to a place like this, and you're wondering, why do people hold their hands up, or what's going on with that? What is that whole thing, right? I know I used to ask those kinds of questions and those types of things, and what, one thing is it's, it's a sign of surrender. I, I surrender. I, I, I give my life to you, Lord, and that's what happened to Paul when he met Jesus. He surrendered. It's also a sign of adoration and joy, right? It's multifaceted meaning, but again, just so you know, kind of bring us all up to speed here, there, there it is. Like, I surrender, and Paul surrendered his life to Jesus, and so he's Jewish, and so he wants to return to where he's from, where he's been, to Jerusalem, to tell his friends, to tell his closest people about his new faith in Jesus. And so he goes and then kind of right off the bat here, all these like riots start and fights and all these different things happen and people are offended by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus, which we'll see more and more in the coming weeks. That's what's happening there. And Paul's kind of confused, but he continues to remain steadfast and faithful. And so, right, all these things happen. And so now um, Paul is sent to go before the governor, Felix, and this, all these kind of Jewish council went with him, and specifically this one spokes, spokesperson, Tertullus, goes along and stands up, and just, we can be honest here, like, he's full of it, <laughs> right? Like, you see just the tone, I, I mean, it's ridiculous, you know? He just go, he's just blowing smoke, you know, since through you, you know, oh, Felix, like, we enjoy much peace, and this is not the way, I mean, there is so much corruption and injustice right off the bat here, 
He's, just, he's talking, talking a good game, trying to puff up this guy Felix to get his own agenda accomplished. And he's just, it's not true. He's throwing up all kinds of lies. Paul didn't start or provoke any kind of riot, anything like that. And yet we see right from the very start, injustice and corruption is just, is just thick. It's what's going on here. And, and, and then as it continues, so the way this whole thing is broken down, the way we're going to walk through it this morning, is this first part there you see kind of like the, uh, the prosecution speaks, right, in uh, verses 1 through 9. And then Paul will speak again, and then the prosecution will step back up in verses um, twenty. 2 through 27, what we read, and then Paul, so there's this kind of prosecution, defense, prosecution, defense. So what, where we're going to look at it, we're just looking at the corruption and the injustice, okay, which in this case is definitely on the side of the prosecution, okay, the accusers. And then we'll look at how Paul responds in a moment, okay, but again, just, just sit here and imagine hearing these lies spoken about you and, and the, the whole tone, right? It's like, I didn't plan on sharing this, but a little bit of kind of confession here. Apparently, one time when I was in like preschool, daycare, my mom came to pick me up and um, I was in the principal's office. I was like three years old, so it started early for me. And uh, I, I'm in there in the principal's office or the, you know, I don't know what you call it, daycare, preschool, the head, you know, head person. And they're in there and my mom's like, what, what's going on here? And they're like, well, David bit someone. And, uh, right, full name was used, not Dave, not Pastor Dave, definitely, right, David. <laughs> but David bit someone, a girl. And, um, and, you know, my mom, of course, like, what's going on? What'd you do? All this stuff. I get in trouble, right? Of course, you know, probably got, I don't know, no dessert or something happened. Well, that night she's giving me a bath and notices I have got a massive bite mark on my back. She bit me first, apparently, the way the story goes. And, uh, and so I hit her back, right? But, but you picture, right, some of us maybe, some of you have been on either side of this kind of injustice, right? But I got all in trouble there. I don't know that this girl got in any kind of trouble. And, and I did, though, right? And so, so this, this scene, you know, you like to picture all cute with little pigtails and all these things going on. And, of course, I was probably dirty and smelly and, you know, hair all disheveled. So it was like, yeah, obviously, it's his fault. Right? Well, that's the kind of scene that's going on here is Paul is just, just getting heaped on this, all these lies about him. And, and yet, we'll see in a moment how he engages with it, how he stands in the face of this injustice. And it, it continues. In fact, look um, now, kind of skipping ahead, you know, before we get to Paul's defense, looking in, in this section there in verse 22 through uh, 27. So they're, they're standing there before Felix, and they're, and they're given this, these, these, these arguments. And it says there that, again, um, Felix sent him away and brought him back because he kept wanting to, uh, to, to, to get a bribe out of Paul. So Paul's standing there before the person with all the power, seemingly in this moment, okay, the governor, Felix, which, again, just kind of Time out for a second. Felix, if you're familiar with the trial of Jesus, when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, this is the same, the same role right here, okay? Like the governor of this area. And we'll get into the parallels again in weeks to come there between what Jesus went through and what we're seeing here, okay? But just kind of put your mind around this, right? This person with all this power is completely corrupt and unjust. Keeps sending Paul away and calling him back because he wants a bribe. He wants to line his pockets, 
And then even further in verse 27, you see that it says there that um, in the second part of that, 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 um, that, 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 that Felix, desiring to do the Jews a favor, left Paul in prison. And that phrase will come up again, desiring to do the Jews a favor. So sitting there, right, objectively, seeing injustice on display, seeing that Paul is in the right here, that he's only been in this place for 12 days in Jerusalem. He's like, how in the world did I start, you know, a whole riot? These things these, these people are saying are just lies. And yet they're looking for bribes, and this guy wants to make everyone happy, wants to, again, just make things work out for his own good. Felix does, this Roman governor. And so he leaves Paul in prison, which, as we'll see here, happens to be for two years. I mean, injustice and corruption, as we said, it's an abyss, right? It's just real. It's, it's, the, it's the world that we live in. And it's so easy for us right now, before we switch to seeing Paul, and we see, oh, of course, Felix and Festus, this guy Festus, right? Which, with a name like Festus, you just have to be corrupt, <laughs> right? So Felix and Festus, these, this, this injustice, this corruption going on, and we can see out there, right, the man. Who's the man? Right? The man will keep you down. The man, right, government, politics, whoever it might be, whoever your version of injustice and corruption out there. But, but let's consider for a moment in here, okay, in, in our own hearts, who, who might we seek to appease, to do a favor to, so that our privileges and rights will continue to go on unhindered? I'll just keep it real here for me for a moment as I prepare, as I think through this. I think through the, the often the times when in a particular text there's a bunch of things that I don't want to say. The implications of what it means to be a follower of Jesus that God just wrecks me with and impresses so heavily on my heart. And, and as we now grow as a church and we have elders that are called to, to oversee and to lead our church and to have hard conversations with people, sometimes it's like, man, I don't want to say that. That's going to make our church attendance go down. You know, that, and I mean, he'll talk here, you know, like I've got, you know, my salary comes from, you know, people coming here and paying tithes. I don't want to call out unjust business practices because usually people who own businesses, you know, give, give tithes, right? I don't want to say that. I, I need to keep people happy. I need to withhold this truth. And you can see how that could happen and creep in, right? In the early days as a church plant, one of our very first ever sermons was on the rich young ruler who was greedy. And it was easy to just drop bombs and just say like, you know, where are we at in this process? And we have a phrase that we said, like, I know we're all uncomfortable right now, right? But, right, anyone remember this? We can take comfort in knowing we're all uncomfortable together, and I pray that God would protect me, would protect us from ever falling into a place like that where you see that I'm getting certain rights and privileges or certain benefits from particular group of people or particular systems or structures, so I'm not going to call that out. I'm going to keep quiet or I'm going to nuance it in such a way to keep everyone happy. That, that's so unbiblical and so dangerous. And, and it's easy to see out there, right? It's easy to see Felix and Festus and 
these kinds of people. But what about, what about you and me? Just pause for a moment and consider where might there be injustice, corruption, in a workplace, on a family level, societally? Where might there be things that we have the opportunity to speak up, to use our influence and our power to speak against it, and yet, for whatever reason, for selfish gain, we just kind of keep quiet? Or we convince ourselves that's ah, not really the way it is because it's too dangerous to speak up. It's too dangerous to press into it. May God convict us and lead us in his righteousness, in his truth. Because as we see here, more and more as we go, that's the way of death. That, that's the way of corruption. And now let's turn and look at Paul as a picture of someone, again, so grounded on the gospel. Again, where he saw Jesus and responded and said, here I am, God, I can do no other. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. I, I want to be, I am yours. And, and Jesus said, it's going to be hard. But man, when you see God's grace so clearly demonstrated through the person of Jesus, you can do no other than to say, even if it's going to be hard, Lord, I trust you. Here, here, nothing I hold on to. I give my life to you. Lord, lead me. And that's what we see in Paul. Once again, unjustly facing trial, corruption. And this is what he says. Now, turning back to verse 10. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, again, this unjust, corrupt governor, Felix, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. And there he's saying, okay, he's not just blowing smoke again, he's saying, you know what's been going on here for many years. You know what God has been doing in Jerusalem. You, you know what's been going on. So I'm really glad that I get to stand before you now and share my testimony before you. He says, you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Okay, you, you know what's going on here. You know all the facts, Felix, and I'm really glad that I can stand here right now and give a testimony to you. In the face of corruption and injustice, Paul sees so clearly, he's so captivated by the good news of Jesus that he just says, I'm glad that I get yet another opportunity to share of the good news of Jesus. Wow. It, what, what would it look like to be so captivated by the gospel that whatever the circumstance, you see that Paul's prayer and his proclamations from earlier chapters to simply share the good news of Jesus, it, he, he doesn't, it doesn't get old, right? It gets difficult. It's, it's, you got to believe this injustice and this corruption is getting old, but he just continues to stand firm in his faith and say, here, like Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. I, I have nothing else, no other. He's like a one-trick Pony. He just keeps saying the same thing over and over, and we'll see it again. Just the same thing over and over again. He just keeps on saying it. And, and don't, 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 uh, uh, don't misunderstand here that Paul's patience is not passivity. Okay? Let me say that again, okay? that we think that having endurance, steadfastness, that being captivated by the gospel and in any circumstance saying it, and not just 
calling it out and being like, you fools, you, man, you're so full of it. You're just trying to line your pockets. You're just trying to bribe these guys. I don't even, you know, this guy, I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, he came down here. He's just trying to blow all this smoke and, you know, trying to puff you up. Let me just, just get after you and accuse you and all this. Because Paul's not doing that, don't dismiss him as being weak or passive. Okay, standing in the face of adversity and corruption and injustice the only options aren't fight according to their rules and use the weapons that they use or just be quiet and be passive. Okay, instead we, we see like Jesus, again, most clearly, who fought the evils of sin and corruption by laying down his own life. Right In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, that word meek is so important, it's so full, because we read that, and it rhymes with what? Weak. Yeah, we think, oh, just, you know, meek, okay, I don't really want to be meek, I don't know what Jesus was talking about, you know, he had a lapse in judgment, I don't but no, this, this, this word meek is so full, it's so good, it means, it's, a, it's essentially, I could wreck you, but, but I'm withholding my power for your good. I have a purpose, and I'm not going to stoop right now and play by your rules. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm going to do, and I'm not even going to be dissuaded by what you're trying to do right now. It's, again, Jesus saying, oh, silly, you know, oh, silly Caesar, oh, silly, oh, silly Rome, you think you have all the power. I could call down thousands of sword-wielding angelic beings right now. And you would mess yourself if you saw them even. But I'm not gonna because my father has a plan and I submit to his will. And so I'm gonna continue to do what I'm gonna do, which led to him dying on a cross. More recently and informed by that good news of Jesus, by that kind of power, that kind of withheld might and strength. You see uh, different movements throughout the the you know history you see people like William Wilberforce fighting the injustices of slavery and even seeing it brought to an end in Great Britain not by you know starting a war and forming militias but by continuing to press in forcefully against evil but in a different kind of way or perhaps even more 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 easily understood Dr King when he was fighting injustice in the during the civil rights movement had this idea that is called nonviolent direct action. Such an incredible picture, like if you break down every word there, nonviolent. Okay? He's like, I'm not going to play by your rules. And if you've ever seen Selma, if you haven't, I encourage you to, to see it. You see the, the struggle that would be, right? To like get punched in the face and then withhold that and not punch back and all these things. And yet he says, no, we, I withhold violence. It's nondirect because, or it's nonviolent because it's direct, because there is, a, there is a, greater, a greater weapon to push back with right now. And, and so there's direct action to bring down these injustices to, hear me, expose them for what they are. Okay, because Jesus rose from the dead, we can fight injustice and corruption with the weapons of love and humility and patience. Okay, there are powers prevalent, real powers that I'm sure many of us are so aware of right now in the world around us of injustice and corruption, and it feels overwhelming. And yet there is a power of love far greater, far more victorious, 
And Paul knows that and he continues. And then also notice that he doesn't, he's not caught off guard here, right? He's not like, oh man, what is the world coming to? Like Facebook status, Facebook status. I, I can't believe what's going on around me. How is this happen, happening to me? Woe is me. The world is crumbling. What are, my, what are our kids going to do? What kind of world are we leaving for them? I can't believe that here we are in first century AD. We're still experiencing these kinds of evils, right? Like he's not, he's not saying that. He's not surprised that he's participating in this kind of oppression and persecution. Okay, Jesus promised that his followers would face opposition. In fact, in, uh, in John chapter 15, I believe I have it up here on the screen, Jesus says in verse 18 and 19 of John chapter 15, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Okay, Jesus promised, right? I don't know where this idea that we get of it's all going to be easy, right? If you're facing opposition in your life, you must be doing something wrong. Just have more faith, right? The prosperity gospel, it's all going to be a cakewalk. Just have more faith and it all gets easy. That is so unbiblical, so anti-Christ. Jesus says things like this. He says, take up your cross and follow me, right? He says like here, like if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And he goes on and says, a servant isn't greater than his master, right? Like you shouldn't expect it. You're going to get a different plight than what I have. You give your life to Christ. You follow him. You become one of his own. You now participate in his mission, ushering in his kingdom, that there's going to be opposition. On that note, okay, let me say something. That when he talks about the world, okay, we sometimes skew that. If you have been around church, you know, for a long time, you hear this stuff like, ah, the world out there, the world, everyone out there, oh, the world is, you know, whatever is, is you know, the dog barking next door, the world, oh, man, I stubbed my toe, I tripped over it, the world's everything out there, and there's no, anything in here, and it's much less um, easily distinguished in this case is that the world that Jesus is talking about is, is, is a kingdom, it's powers, it's structures, it's, it's a way of life, it's, 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 it's a way that things function, the way that things go. Again, remember in the very beginning when we talked about injustice and corruption, that's, 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 a, a, that's, that's an outpouring of the kingdom of this world. Again, when sin entered into the world, okay, do you hear me? When we said, no thanks God, I don't want my image to come from you, I don't want my purpose, I don't want my hobbies, I don't want my relationship with other people to flow out of you, I want to do it my way. That's the kingdom of this world. That's not God. Okay? And, and so the world here talked about is systems, structures, thoughts, feelings, any kind of disposition that is not submitted to and surrendered to and informed and led and shaped by God and his rule, by King Jesus, who's at work. Okay, and so this, this, kind of, uh, this kind of good news here is the, is the reality that we are going to live amidst corruption and brokenness. And yet it's also recognizing that the kingdom of heaven has broken in and is moving forward. And it, and it, and it causes, it demands a response 
Okay, turn, uh, turn back with me there to Acts. Okay, we're going back there now in, in the end of this part here in verse um, 25 of chapter 24. Okay, so 24, 25, at the very end of this time with um, Felix, right, standing before him. Paul's giving an account, right? He's sharing his faith. And look at what happens here, okay, in, in verse 25. As he, that's Paul, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, okay, he's sharing the gospel, He's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Okay, hear me. The gospel always demands a response. Always. We're told that the word of God does not return void. Okay, when the gospel is proclaimed, someone will either respond and say, I I surrender, I give my faith to Jesus, or in this case, like Felix will just say, get away, you know, earmuffs, right? I don't want to hear it anymore. It's, it's getting uncomfortable. Go away, go away, you know, step back. I, I, I can't hear this anymore. I'm getting too convicted. Again, let, let's, let's look inward and be aware of how might we want to tune out when, when the Lord is, is, is screaming, perhaps through other people, through his word, through the Holy Spirit's conviction on our hearts, in what ways are we saying, I don't want to hear it, you know, tune it out, go away. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. And, and you see that on display here in this guy, Felix. And it continues. We'll see Paul time and time and time again. He sees some, someone's intrigued. Someone's like, hey, tell me a little more about this Jesus. But then at some point says, ah, my rights and privileges that I'm getting from over here are going to prevail a little bit too much. Okay, okay, I'm interested in this. Can I have this and this? And, 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 and Jesus says, no. He says, go all in. You can't be lukewarm. He says, either you're mine, either you put your trust in me, either you give your life to me, and now you, part- you care about my mission. Your whole life is defined by loving God and loving others, loving your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. And yet, like, be, be warned that, that, that when it gets uncomfortable, if we grow too accustomed to just saying, ah, I don't want to hear it anymore, there's great danger. And then this whole next part in, in, in chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, it, it's, it's new characters who, again, we'll meet again next week, this guy Festus in, in this whole scene, but, but it, it's, it's, it's the same old thing. It's the same cycle, right? It's like wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. It's been going on continually. Corruption, injustice. And yet Paul, grounded on the gospel, remaining faithful. Okay, hear me. Corruption and injustice are persistent. However, the good news of Jesus always prevails, Okay, where, where corruption and, and injustice persists and it gets overwhelming and exhausting. We can look to the death and resurrection of Jesus and see that he has prevailed. He has victorious. He hung on the cross and said, it is finished. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father and, and said, I'm coming back. He sits on the throne and says, behold, I am making all things new. Amen. So what do we do right now? 
as I close and we consider the world around us, and we maybe even feel a little bit like, like whiplash, right? A little bit like, yeah, there's evil, right? We, do we, we hear Nietzsche saying, stare into the abyss and just kind of there's no hope. It's you're going you're gonna to eventually be overcome by this injustice and this corruption. Or do we just pretend it's not there and put on a happy face and, you know, sing songs and not, not uh, or do we stand in a place and recognize, yes, corruption and injustice persists and yet, Jesus is doing something beautiful, something guaranteed. He's ushering in his kingdom. Let me weave us with these words to consider from a, 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 a hip-hop artist and a poet and an activist, incredibly, a really profound guy, um, Show Baraka. If you've met with me any time in the last couple months, you, I've probably said something that Show has said. But... Um, I have actually met him once. I don't know that that puts us on a first name basis. But um, anyway, he says this in uh, just one stanza from a song, Nicodemus. He paints this picture of the reality of where we stand. Despite the corruption, okay, not pretending it's not there, acknowledging it, but despite the corruption, you make beauty in the madness. Every morning, your composition paints a beautiful canvas. Thy words are an author and an architect. There isn't good in this world you haven't offered yet. Despite the corruption, despite the brokenness, it's there, it's persistent. But God, thankfully, you prevail. You're, you're, you're painting a canvas. You're bringing something beautiful and something true and something lasting. So that, founded on the gospel, standing firm on the good news of Jesus... We can continue to move forward knowing that the gospel enables us, empowers us to fight evil and justice and corruption with greater weapons, the weapons of love and humility and patience. Amen? Let's uh, close in, in prayer as we continue to respond. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't shy away from the hard truths. Thank you that your word doesn't give us in just a way to kind of ignore the evil, the injustice, the brokenness in the world around us. Lord, we acknowledge that out there, that the, that the, the world is full of brokenness around us, that there is racism, there is, there is oppression there are all kinds of rules and laws that are designed to, to keep others down and to keep us up. And Lord, your answer was entering into it, was persistently moving forward with your plan of laying your life down, of bringing in love, as we heard last week, that death is at the center of love. So Lord, we find our hope in you and we trust and pray that you will continue to empower us to move forward, to lay down our lives for the good of others, Lord, to stand up and to speak and to be bold and to be strong, but not fighting, not by playing their game, not by playing the game of the world of brokenness and corruption and injustice, Lord, but by fighting with humility and love and persistence and perseverance and patience, knowing that you are bringing about something good. So it is in light of that hope, that we now pray and respond in Jesus' name. Amen.